season two of Just So We're Clear. <laughs> hey guys, we're back. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, uh, Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> also, we can't hear you anyway. But uh, Hanley Hofer here and beside me is Marissa True. Hi, hi, hi. And for those of you who are coming back, joining us for season two of the podcast... Welcome back. I know. I can't believe you stuck with us. We like, thank you. We appreciate it. We did not expect it. So any ears that are here from before, hey. And if you are new onto the show, well, welcome. Um, uh, I just want to paint a scene so you can get a better understanding of who your hosts are. I'm Hanley. I am Singaporean German based out of Singapore. Um, And Marissa is? I'm half English, half Singaporean, but grew up here most of my life and yeah now living and working yeah and so a little bit of what we do um I am I don't know I like for me it's really can I introduce you because I feel like if I introduce you I know exactly what to say and you can introduce me that feels so much better because it's like writing your own bio like talking about yourself is just that's why I wrote yours because it was easy yeah and also yeah because it was free (laughs) (laughs) So uh, normally I pay for my, I get paid for my content, but no. So Hanley Hofer, how do we describe you? You are a media personality. You're an actress. You're a radio DJ. You're a former VJ. You are also a professional host. What else did I miss? I'm a podcaster. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Technical, technical detail there. Oh, my God. I can't even look at you when you like say these things. I don't know why. It's so like. Do you just like, yeah, I am those things. I am those things, but I still find it very weird. And I'm not very good at, I don't know, when I hear what I do out loud some days, it it still kind of makes me pinch myself because it's everything I ever wanted, to be honest. So every, yeah, so every time I hear that I, I this is actually my reality, I just get very like blushy and shy. But that is true. That is what I do. Um, do me, do me. Okay, your turn now. <laughs> uh, Marissa is a florist. <laughs> Man, all the... RIP to all of the plants I've killed over the years. No, Marissa is far from a florist. Uh, Marissa, I am not nurturing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, Marissa is a professional writer by trait. Um, uh, she works and writes in the travel industry, but not just that. She covers a lot of things as a copywriter. So I think you said this before, but in a way, by working as a copywriter, you've kind of dipped your toe in all types of industries and just exposed yourself to so much out there that you're kind of like a walking encyclopedia at this point. Do love exposing myself to things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my the reason I wanted to become a journalist or a writer by trade was because it forced me to learn about things to actually like a pretty substantial level. And I was always the nerd in school. So that's how I I mean I basically took my nerd brand and then made it my career. So it's yeah, good. You took yeah. your brand. I feel like in a way I took my brand from school and also made it my career in the sense that. What in what sense? Actually, I don't know. In this, oh, oh, in the sense that the career I started down as a model was not the academic path. Oh, yeah. That was like I was a nerd. Was. You were the opposite. Yeah. We looked alike in school, but we were completely different people. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of like awesome how that turned out to be so yeah and we ended up at the same place and i don't know what that says about us or it's it's almost like one of those like female friendship rom-coms you know know, like in 21 jump street (laughs) are you channing tatum am i jonah hill i mean (laughs) 
Jonah, I love you. I think you're amazing. And here we are now undercover doing a podcast. Yeah, you're definitely more like Magic Mike and I'm more super bad. I do know how to strip. Does that count? Remember I told you? I was like, I just always have a routine. Was this what you did in lockdown? Yeah, actually. You practice stripping in lockdown? I actually think... Your poor dog. (laughs) Like, mom, what are you doing? No, I actually think it's a very empowering thing as a girl um, or even as a guy to just like have a few like strip moves under your belt. So if you ever gave your partner a laugh dance, you knew what you were doing. So like... Oh, I actually did practice over the countdown, uh, countdown, the lockdown, just some basic like lap dance moves. I'm not even kidding. And and yeah, and so I think when it, if, if it really came to the moment for me to, you know, entertain, I think I could do it. I just get flashbacks of when we tried to do a photo shoot and I couldn't even pose in front of a camera, let alone do something vaguely sexual. <laughs> oh my god guys by the way check out our whole new branding for season two check out our like little icon look at us in those yellow suits i mean mm! yeah so when you see the solo shots and you see mine just understand that, that was the only one that was okay out of a series of say 300 to 500 shots meanwhile hanley had like 10 shots and nailed every single one of them and it was quite offensive to me because <laughs> i had no fucking idea what to do in front of a camera it is it's a kind like modeling initially it's a little weird if you think about it because you're just kind of like standing in a space like you're not even acting you're just like you're not even dancing you're just like popping hips and like working angles i'm genuinely like what's my left tit doing i don't know yeah like does it look good is it cold (laughs) do we need nipples (laughs) (laughs) talking about tits though tits look great in these shots they do. Thank you, lockdown. The one thing you gave me were a pair of breasts. I don't know where they came from, but um, yeah. that was that was how I personally grew yeah. during this time. <laughs> there was other stuff too, but that, that was my favorite. People are confused. Mar- like, Marissa, you're a grown up. What do you mean your tits just came in? I was fucking flat chested and it was okay. I was kind of like, I'm the head of the itty bitty titty committee. And it was like a good thing. Cup A for Evs. Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, oh, the one bra that's always in stock at every sale because no one has the this. tube top. Yeah. <laughs> the bando. The bralette. Like <laughs> all those things. I was like, yeah, I could I could fit into that. Oh, there's a cup? Is it filled with cushion? Otherwise, we're not fucking with it. But they came in for you this summer. They did. Snaps for that. My dad's going to hate this episode. And he's like our biggest fan. <laughs> I know. I know. Your dad knows way too much about me at this point. But it's oh, no, cool. It's cool. Dead. It's cool. To be fair, I feel like a lot of people know way too much about me. Okay. But so this is our first episode mm. back. Welcome to season two. Like we said, let's give a little bit of a recap of what's been happening over the last month and a half since we launched our season finale of season one. Like what have you done what have you taken out of lockdown okay so the last episode we shared with you guys was in july yes since then i have aged i had a birthday oh my god i thought you were gonna say i gave birth and i was like why I this. the fuck what i don't know why <laughs> first of all i had a baby i was gonna be like you were one of those i didn't know i was pregnant and you just that is actually my worst nightmare yeah that's my that is my worst nightmare like to suddenly think it's like a take a dump and, it's, and not... it's a baby oh my god imagine can you do we do you think we can get someone on the show who that happened? So if anyone out there knows of a woman who 
Didn't realize she was pregnant until the point in which she was giving birth. Please hit us up. Actually, we would though, love actually, to have a chat. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, coming back to the, the topic, I didn't give birth. I aged. I had a birthday. 28. I don't feel any different to 27. 28 is like a eh, kind of like 20s number, you know? Yeah, but after everything I learned about astrology last season, the only thing in my mind is Saturn's return. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I had my birthday. That was really cute. Um, What else happened for me? Well, I, I feel like I owe you guys an update because I shared with you that I was in a long distance relationship. And my partner is in Bali, and I'm sure with a lot of other people out there being separated from their loved ones during Corona, it'd be hard, you know? Mm. It's really hard. Yeah. So in terms of updates on that, not much. <laughs> it's still hard. It's so hard. We're still here. But we're still together. We're trying to see each other. Um, and yeah, and, and I guess like work has been picking back up now that we are very well, very like phase two, this is just our life now. So yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm feeling I'm feeling a nice settling of just having some more purpose than sitting around at home all day. That's good. And I think I'm at a good place. But then again, good. it's it's only 5 p.m. So this could change in the next two hours. That's the thing, isn't it? Like it now is. we now we know how emotionally volatile we can really be after having put ourselves through solitary confinement for two months. It's fucking ridiculous. Also, like, guys, are we the only ones that like I'll wake up and be like, oh, my God, I feel amazing. And then by lunchtime comes, it's like, what is my life right now? So I'm going to share a little um, anecdote from the last couple of weeks. I have had a few people come up to me in the gym being like, you are right, because I've genuinely just burst into tears mid-workout. It's been okay. So to be fair, it's because I've been going through a lot of stuff. Um, my dog passed away, and that was very, very difficult. But yeah, I was, I was genuinely in the dream, being like, "I'm gonna just, just get all this stress out of my body, do something physical." Like that's that's what genuinely helps me. And I was doing sprints on the treadmill, and then halfway through, you just hear me going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but <laughs> your face was really Asshole. funny as you did that. <laughs> but yeah, 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 and then. I would have lunch and be like, oh, we're okay. And then by 4 p.m. I'd be like, the world is ending and I have nothing to show for it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how up and down we get. Yeah. But I mean, how has how's things been for you? Like, what's up with you? So other than the tragedy of my dog passing away, um, I actually moved out of home. Which was a big deal because it was my first time moving out of home since I finished university. And it was sort of like the plug I always wanted to pull um, over the last few years, but never really had the guts to do it, nor the money to do it. And I feel like I'm now in a position to be like, a lot of shit has happened this year. How much worse can it get? Is it really going to hold you back from the things that you set out to achieve? Absolutely. So. And even throughout the podcast, you were just like, I need to move. Yeah, and, and you were saying yeah. it all this entire year, so it's great that you you did. In August. No, basically September. And also, you know, like, moving out of your family home in Asia, it's not really, like, it's not common. Yeah, it's not really it's a thing. Not common. Typically, yeah. it's like you do it when you get married or, like, I don't know, you have enough money to put a down payment on a house, that sort of thing. While, I mean, I, I, I'm really lucky in that my parents are incredibly supportive. I mean, my mom at first was like, you know, if you really want to pay rent, pay me rent. But classic Asian mother, classic, but, and to be fair, I understood her point, but they've been so supportive and understanding that I needed like a new headspace. I needed a new environment. The people I live with are absolutely incredible. 
And it's just like, it's been, I don't know, three weeks now. And I genuinely, I'm, a, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do it sooner. So if there's anyone out there who's sort of like mid twenties, you kind of want to do it, but you're not really sure yet. Try it. You can't go yeah. back after you move out of your parents' place. Like, yeah. not really. Like, my experience, I moved out of my parents' home when I was, like, 20, 21. Cannot go back. So I thought that when I came back from university, I was like, there's no way. And the thing is that I think when you start it and you try it, like, there'll definitely be people out there who really think to themselves, actually, you know what? I do love the comfort of home. And if that's you, then go for it. Like, no rent. Mom and dad cooking you food. That's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. And I mean, I, I really struggled to let go of that life because it was good. But for me, it was like this was a critical turning point that I needed to make that move. And I mean, they were so supportive that like it was one of the best decisions I made this year because this year has been tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this year has been whew, one for the books. And it's like it's just beginning of what, September now, like yeah. end of August. Yeah. And it's it's like the longest year of all of our lives. Yet also weirdly the shortest because it kind of hasn't happened to us. I know, absolutely. Like, I don't really feel like... And I think it's because a lot of us, in fact, I dare say all of us, have had so many, like, dreams, plans robbed from us. Yeah. Our, our sense of hope... Security. ...has just been played with. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we haven't really hit those, like, highs of the roller coaster of what would normally be the year because every time you have a low life has a gorgeous way of balancing out with a lot of highs and then that's where you find your balance in between the two extremes whereas this time we haven't hit as many highs as we're used to in general because of our freedom being taken from us so it has been the longest year yeah like genuinely of my life if you think back to lockdown right it seems like a very surreal chapter of your life like my lockdown routine in terms of wake up do yoga, then have breakfast, then do like what I would do in my day is so different to what I'm currently doing that it just feels like this whole other chapter of my life that I've sort but, of closed okay, the door. But okay, but fair for you, girl, you moved out. So you are like, your chapters are a bit more like segmented. Exactly. Segmented, like in a physical space as well, like energetically. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, to be honest with you guys, like my days are not that different from lockdown. I'm still working, creating content from home. I'm still walking my dog. The main difference is like now I can go see my friends. True. And I can, it's a big one. And I can go to the gym, but my home experience, like it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. No, if there's anything I learned, there's too much, there's too much emotional stuff in my room at home at the moment. So you had to leave. Yeah, Mm, I get that. Yeah. Okay, so during lockdown, though. Ooh, I love this story. I know. Oh, God, you guys. I'm telling you, being a woman on a public page on the internet. Well, that's a a theme park, (laughs) to say the least. We've got all types of people knocking at my door. We've got all types. We've got haunted houses, kind of creepy people trying to slide into the DMs. It's just when you see that little... One request at the top. Well, I mean, mine it says one request, maybe max. And yours must say like 3,762 requests. insane. And I'm sure you guys like, okay, even if you're not a public figure, just a female on the internet. Yeah. People sliding in them DMs. It gets weird. It's, yeah. And yeah, it just simply gets weird. So today I'm going to share with you guys a very true story of some shit that went down <laughs> in my DMs um, on my Instagram, like, private messaging that happened over lockdown and had a very, very interesting turn of events. Okay, so 
this happened like some random day in the middle of the circuit breaker. I was at home here where we are. I was on that couch over there and I get a DM from some like really random, like you can tell like this account was like just like a made up name. It was like a ghost account. It was like a ghost account. It had like zero content and like, like a weird like picture that was some weird brand name. Anyway, so this account messages me and it says, foot pics, how much? And instantly, I take a screenshot and I send it to Marissa. And I'm like, lol, dude. (laughs) Look at this. What do I say? Yeah. So my instant response was $10,000, $1,000 per toe. Yeah, obviously. So (laughs) (laughs) like these babies go for one grand one time each shot. So I replied to this like weird account and I'm like, uh, $10,000, $1,000 per toe. And I think that's where it really began. Like our wheels started turning and first of all, a lot of laughter came off about it. A lot of like squealing, a lot of what the fuck is going on in the world. Um, And just so many questions like your feet, like you're going to, you're going to really be willing to drop 10 K for a photo of one foot. And I also think, I mean, I've, I know your Instagram pretty well by now. There are definitely photos of your feet. Isn't that free content? Like, why would you pay for more photos of feet? And also, what sort of details are you looking for, like, between the toe? (laughs) Or, like, yeah, like, what are you looking for? Like, Like, what is it that works for you? And why does it work for you? And here's the thing. Like, Marissa and I know that feet are a huge thing when it comes to fetishes. Like, a foot fetish is probably the most common type of fetish out there. But this is my... Or at least the one we talk about the most. Yeah, exactly. One that's, like, even as, like, a joke, right? Yeah. Like, but this is the first encounter that I've I've personally had around, like, foot fetishes. I, I believe you too, right? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, but- like, unless there's something you don't... Like, you haven't told me yet. So, there's a thing. <laughs> I started this account... <laughs> No, um, I, after you sent me that screenshot, I started talking to a few friends of mine and I mean, I didn't use your name, but I basically wanted to know if they had had their own experiences. And it turns out it was a lot more common than I would have expected. Foot fetishes are so common. There are whole OnlyFans accounts dedicated to feet, which you know, because you even looked them up, right? Yeah. So I, (laughs) like, we, guys, we really, like, when we say we were curious, that doesn't even like scratch the surface of how much we were so like, what, what? I went down a sexual fetish rabbit hole and genuinely started looking up how much money people were generally getting for photos of their feet, what sort of angles that they were playing with, what sort of feet actually sold well versus didn't. And look, you can make bank off of your toes. Like those little piggies have cash in them. Oh my God. I, I know why you said piggies because I watched the same video of that girl, which, you know, I think it's only fair that we link this video in our show yes. notes so that you guys can also watch this YouTuber who basically went to sell photos of her feet for fun and it became a whole thing and she did it very well. But we don't want to talk about the selling pictures of the feet element of this story because the ethics around selling photos of your feet is like a whole different ball game and it's a conversation which I think deserves its own space. Yeah. So we're going to like stray away from the ethics of actually selling photos of your feet and we just kind of want to pinpoint how the foot question mark came into our conversation so heavily that we could not let it go of what was so special about 
foot fetishes. Yeah, because we encounter, I mean, I guess feet in this instance is just happens to be the form of fetish we encountered first. Yeah. But our bigger questions really relate to fetishes. How do they work? Yeah. Like, how are people getting off on something that frankly grosses other people out? And like, if, you know, if one of us is completely disgusted by, say, feet or anything else for that matter, and the other person's really aroused by it, what sort of mindset are we dealing with? What's the psychology behind it? I know. And you know what's gorgeous about what we're going to share next is that Marissa talked to a few people who honestly dated people with foot fetishes and gave her the whole nasty of what it was like. So please, what are some of the key takeaways from that chat, which I wish I was a fly on the wall when you and your friends talked about this, of what it's like, what it was like to date a guy that loved your so I'm going to keep the the people that shared these stories with me completely anonymous. Yes, that's fair. It, there, is, there is an air of judgment or shame attached to weird sexual things of any nature. It doesn't have to be fetishes. But essentially what they found was they noticed that their partner would get aroused at weird times. And then they would sort of draw connections with, say, when they would take off their shoe or, you know, they wanted, I don't know, to kiss their feet in bed or... They were just strange little instances, but they never really put two and two together in terms of this being an actual kink fetish yeah, kink thing. Fetish, like source of like foreplay, I guess, for the person until I think there was one instance where they addressed the elephant in the room and they actually they had a conversation and she said to him, are feet a thing for you? Is this something that you want to explore? So it must have gotten to a point where it was kind of like, wow, there is a clear yes. correlation between you getting off and my my toes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was. And I think... So she said... That's, she, yeah, that's... Sorry. I'm just like, that has not happened to me yet. No, neither. I'm, am I waiting for the day? Am I waiting for the day someone is like sticking know. my foot in their mouth? Oh, no, I don't want to wait for that day. Because I think, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I'm going to cope with that situation. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is uncomfortable. Right? Like, I don't know. I mean, just like, just the exposure of people loving feet so much at this level just really prompted the honest admission that you and I don't know. Yeah. So after having this conversation with, in in the few instances in, across these chats, they were all women. Um I've never met a woman with a foot fetish, though, which is uh, interesting. Or a woman who openly talks about specific fetishes. I feel like when it comes to general conversation, we mainly talk about it in the context of men, but maybe that's just us. I don't yeah. know. But she was saying that when they had a conversation about it and he did acknowledge, and it was one of those things where he didn't understand what it was for himself either. He didn't understand why feet were working for him. He just knew that they were. So it wasn't really acknowledged as a fetish or a kink to him consciously anyway because it wasn't really part of the dialogue I guess at that time but then the fantasy that kept coming up with a few of these women was that the guy would ask for a foot job and I mean I think it pretty much says what it is on the tin which is the dynamics of a hand job but with your feet and like that opens up a whole series of other questions like how do you make sure you don't kick him in the balls and other things and like how so he asked her for that yeah she did and so again i'm jumping between people here because there were a few that i spoke to but one of at least one of them did do it she said it was a very uncomfortable very unique experience 
but not something that she ever really felt comfortable doing oh again. God, I would be laughing my way through everything. Like I would actually, I would, I, it would be, first of all, I'm very ticklish in my feet. So it would be like laughing because that's just ticklish, but also like, yeah, uncomfortable laughing. Like I actually think if I'm ever in a situation where this happens, I would have to like cover my mouth to just like stifle the laughs. I'd probably cry with laughter of how uncomfortable. I don't so know. So you're just awkward laughing. But also I'm ticklish. So it will be the also, com- No, I'm sorry. Wait, hang on a second. Are you- so in this hypothetical scenario, assuming you are with a man, you are basically saying that you think his erection would tickle your feet. Yeah, well, of course, if you are doing it in the context of a foot job, like I have ticklish feet. So you can't. So, so how are you in reflexology? Oh, like I'm grimacing. I'm making all sorts of like shoulder, neck angles. I'm I'm like tearing up to just like power through it. I wonder I how they do in reflex or maybe they just like watching other people get or foot massages. People, oh my god, what if a foot reflexologist has a foot fetish <gasps> and literally like hit the jackpot of careers? Oh. Oh. See, this is what we're saying. There are so many avenues, so many questions oh that are god. coming up as a result of this. And yet like I mean I think a lot of it came down to, at least with the people I've spoken to, understanding where your boundaries are, understanding how to actually, I guess, navigate having a partner. So wait, okay. And the hypothetical, wait, can we just go back to the foot job just for a second? Yeah. Because this is just, I just want to add, like, I would be laughing because it's ticklish and then laughing because it's uncomfortable and then laughing because it was ticklish and making it uncomfortable. Like, it would just be a whole situation of me just, like, going pink in the face. How would you fare if this was like happened to you? Would you go there? I mean, I think it would take me a long time to make a decision of whether I was willing to put myself through that because I mean, my initial instinct is frankly, oh no. But it also depends how much you love that person. Exactly. That's the thing that like straight off the bat, I've never personally been in a situation where there's been a specific thing. Yeah. I mean, guys, me neither. And I would tell you if I have, honestly, like I would. There's something like this. It's just so alternative and you know we love the shit so huh yeah so I think it's one of those things where you would have you would have to have like an open conversation with your partner Mm -hmm. you would have to be able to understand exactly what each person's boundaries are which each person's desires are and I think that's also something that is also fairly new a lot of people don't actually aren't actually that communicative with their partners yeah but like I said with these women were like the the men in this case that they were with didn't understand it for themselves. They just knew that every single time there was a foot around them, they got horny. Oh I'm sorry, I'm trying to be really mature about that. <laughs> Go on. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and someone starts singing like, this little piggy went to market, you're just like, oh, baby. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All oh my the God. way home. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's so, super strange. Okay, so I remember before we came on the podcast, you also told me that like she would tease him by yeah, taking so, off her shoes? So their version of foreplay would be she would come in, I don't know, to the house or whatever, and she would not take off her shoes or like take her shoes off extremely slowly and sultrily. Oh my God. Or what she would do, she said that um, one of them had multiple partners who coincidentally had a foot fetish. I think she said she dated three men. <gasps> See guys, this is how secretly yeah. common it is. Okay, yeah. maybe not on the internet, but day to day, how common it is to have a freaking foot fetish. So she, say, so this particular friend dated three separate 
individuals yeah. who loved feet. Each one had the like they found feet sexually arousing to different levels. So there's the one guy who I think he, he was the one that wanted the foot job, like wanted all this stuff to do with feet because it really worked for him. And there was another guy that was just like, I just love looking at your feet in high heels. And that was enough. It was mild. It sort of wasn't really, I don't want to, it wasn't really, um, I don't want to use the word perverse because that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to stigmatize it, but like jarring, I guess, yeah. strange, yeah. Uh, difficult to sort of adapt to. So yeah, that, that prompted another question about like, how do we know when a fetish is a fetish? Like something that you consider a turn on and say, I don't know whether it's, whether it's a buff guy in an office shirt or a man in uniform or like whatever, at what point does that turn into fetishization? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, exactly. This little internet encounter really kicked off so many questions for us because, you know, at the same time, we would love to highlight once again what Marissa said. We're not putting any judgment on something that has to do with your personal sexual preference. Like when it comes down to stuff like this, this is the baseline. As long as the two adults are adults or three or, or three, four, whatever, as long as the adults are consenting and as long as there are no animals involved, like, oh but no, really, that I feel like that's the baseline when it comes down yeah. to Consent, your sexuality, safety. Yeah, safety, even, okay, even so, safety can be a bit gray when it comes to certain areas of sexuality because there is that whole BDSM element. Yeah. But basically, we just want to make very clear that when it comes to conversations and topics like this, like, we're not hold, we have zero judgment. We're merely curious and we just want to understand more, yeah. which is why we thought it was only fair that, you know, we have all these pressing questions about fetishes and this whole world of kink that we personally haven't had any exposure to. And also, this is not an invitation to expose us to it. Can you imagine someone listening to this? Be like, well, I'll show you. Don't. But if you do have stories you would like to share, please do send oh, them yeah. in. Because we will co be covering this topic a couple times, maybe. What, maybe another time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it's and so interesting to go down the world of what kink and BDSM learn. and every yeah. fetish, everything under the roof is. It's just like freaking fascinating. But so we, you know, we clearly are not armed with the correct information to make any type of assessment. Like, yeah, we're not able to give any advice. We're not able to do any of that. But what we are able to do is use the internet to contact someone who is able to do that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the podcast took a turn to become educational. Yeah. <laughs> Get on this magic school bus. We're going on a ride. We literally got a doctor in the house, guys. This is how committed we are to getting down to the baseline of anything we cover. So for this season um, and for this episode, when we're talking about the whole world of fetishes, it's only fair that we get a professional on board. So we had a clinical sexologist who goes by the name Dr. Martha Lee. And she shared all of her expertise, answered all of our ridiculous questions. Because the thing is, like you said, we were beginners. So we, I mean, we were like children in a classroom learning about puberty for the first time. <laughs> That's such a good, innocent and kind of sad way to put it. But you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> and now we know so much. But we won't tell you. We'll let Martha tell you. So without further ado, tune in to Dr. Martha Lee. Well, the first question we want to start with is, what is the definition of a fetish? 
Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, a fetish is something that is usually associated with an object and basically anything that is out of the, of the ordinary uh, is considered, it can be a fetish. And a fetish can be usually, is usually an object and it can be anything. It can be, you, you have a pen fetish. It could be you have a fetish with uh, laptops. Uh, the difference is the sexualization of that object. That object provides you uh, sexualization in essentially if, uh, there's a, there's an erotic charge to it, uh, to make it simple, it's basically an object that makes you feel horny or starts to make you feel horny. So people who play with, uh, uh, energy sensation, they often say that they don't feel that there's any need for sex per se. They don't feel that they need a blowjob or handjob or uh, penetration or ejaculation even. It's more the, the object um, uh, that sent, uh, provides stimulation, eroticism to them. Ah, oh, okay. So, okay. So let's just take the innocent pen <laughs> from <laughs> your example, okay? We'll take this. Like, ooh, this is a, this is a <laughs> sexy <laughs> pen. <laughs> look, at, look at the way that cap closes. So, yeah. so what you're saying is that while a fetish is, it's something that makes you horny, basically, in the most simple ways, but not necessarily to give you the type of energy to make you finish or have an orgasm. It's just the eroticism attached to that object. So it's almost like foreplay in an object. Is that right? Like you start to get that, like, I don't know, that feeling that you maybe you want to have sex as a result, but it's driven, it's sort of triggered by... Yeah. Yeah, triggered by. Uh, so, so say, uh, pen, <laughs> coming back to pen or uh, mommy shoes, uh, whatever it is. Uh, it could be, it could happen to coincide with their sexual awakening in the sense that maybe while playing with the pen and the sound of the pen and, uh, certain thoughts that came in while playing with the pen, now they start to associate, uh, sex with pen and, uh, with, with repetition. <laughs> with repetition, they they essentially program themselves to associate sex with pen or mummy's shoes. And uh, so every time they do this, they get that erotic charge. They start to feel horny when they start engaging in that activity, whether it's lingerie or uh, playing dress up. Uh, they, they get that feeling and it actually uh, kind of strengthens the neural connections. It strengthens the way the mind associates that experience with something that's good. And uh, so that that is how fetishes develop. So some so often, uh, they kind of fall into it as in they discover that this is something that creates that effect in my body that seems to be different. And through repetition and practice, it becomes uh, kind of like stronger and stronger, easier and easier, faster and faster. And um, that that arousal because of the repetition of the thinking and the doing uh, becomes stronger and stronger. So if if it works for you then why change it? And uh, uh, there are people that I've spoken to, they, they, don't, they don't actually know uh, when it started or how it started. Uh, but often, uh, a lot of uh, practitioners like myself, they would uh, say it, it starts off uh, through trial and error and it can happen uh, when they are very young. It can happen uh, as part of their sexual awakening. Uh, because a lot of times we don't know sex, we don't know what we're doing, and we just kind of stumble upon it. And if, if something makes you feel good, 
uh, you you want to go back to it because it feels like it feels like a friend now. It feels comfortable. Yeah, I think this is also another reason why people uh, feel comfortable playing with uh, human size uh, dolls because uh, they they use their imagine imagination to visualize that okay, this is this is what it is. Hmm. Oh wait, so question coming off that. Would playing with a like a human sized doll then be considered a fetish because it is mimicking a human? Yeah, it's not necessarily yeah. like it. Yeah. So it is a fetish. Yes. Well, to me, it is because it's still sexualizing an object, regardless of what the object looks like, even though it looks like a human, you're fetishizing that object. But then, in terms of looking at a sexual object, like say a sex toy, like a dildo, a vibrator, a flashlight, even. Is that then sort of a fetish as well? Because it's also sexualizing an object, even if it's for a sexual purpose? Yeah, um, it is a fetish if if you sexualize it. Basically, you're using that object for sexual gratification, but you may not look at it as a sex object. You may right. not look at it as the source okay. of okay. what turns you on. Okay, It's just a tool to help you, but you're not looking at it as, oh, I'm so turned on, like wearing this shoe or lingerie okay um so then what about when it comes to actual human body parts because we've kind of addressed like inanimate objects mm-hmm. what if someone has a fetish to i don't know an elbow or an armpit that's considered a fetish yeah or smell or uh big butts or big boobs so what? big so liking big boobs could be a fetish yeah, a lot of people use these words very loosely, right? Yeah. So essentially, they don't they don't like love love the person. They love that part about that person, oh. and they love that part of all people. You're like you know, that's why they say a fetish object. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to point at you, Marissa. I just looked at you like, yeah, Marissa doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so then going back to what you said and um, how it sort of plays a part in our sexual awakening, and it's an object we sort of associate with suddenly being turned on or aroused. So in that case, I guess you could almost look at it like a case of classical conditioning. Yes, it is conditioning, very much conditioning. The way we think about it causes it to become a sex object for us. And, uh, okay, yeah, even even like a cigarette, you know, I have a a fetish around uh, women putting cigarettes to their lips because that's that's the most erotic part or sensuous part of who they are so now i'm just captivated with people holding cigarettes so anything can be fetishized so it's it's really not that difficult uh, because people say how come you have a a leather fetish or a lingerie fetish or shoe fetish like they are focusing too much on the thing rather than understanding the bigger picture of why people start to think this way I think we are really creative people, human beings. Oh, we have, we're creative people. So um, we we are really limited by our imagination and how far it can go. Wow. So in that sense, then, we all have a fetish in terms of like finding something that's vaguely non-sexual that turns us so on. We, so that was the next question then. Like we, we uh, must all have fetishes. So how do we find out what ours are? I guess we already have yeah, to be it can be it can be right. really common. Yeah, it can be really common. Uh, I was just looking up because <laughs> you guys asked me how common is it? Apparently close to 50% of people uh have a fetish around voyeurism. Uh-huh. Oh, look at them have sex. And you know what? 50% yeah. that means that's one of you. 
<laughs> sitting in this room right now between the two of us. It's one of us, too. Or it's both of us. Hey. Hey. Oh, okay. See, yeah. So we had this discussion before because we, it came in conversation just chatting to different friends about people who have had relationships or have slept with people with fetishes and the fact that they didn't really know how to respond because the person didn't necessarily have like a clear way of telling them what the fetish was. It was sort of like a, oh, can you do this for me? And then hope that they just run with it. So what's a healthy way to communicate a fetish? If say it's more one of the, like, maybe one of the more taboo ones than say, I don't know, voyeurism. Oh, uh, you mean they want to watch, they want to have, like say have uh, participate in having outdoor sex with that person? Yeah, no, so say, for example, let's take, let's take foot fetishes as an example. Um, if someone has a foot fetish, how should they sort of effectively communicate to their partner, this, you know, turns me on. I would like for you to engage with me on it in a way that doesn't make you uncomfortable. Because I feel from mm. the friends that I've spoken to, it's been thrown at them more of as a surprise and they sort of just have to adapt and decide whether they're in or out rather than having a like a meaningful conversation around it to kind of make it yeah. less attached to any sort of shame or judgment yeah. because even you know just through community like our conversations with our friends like fetishes are common and also confirming that with you they seem to be around 50 percent. <laughs> um so yeah i guess for our listeners yeah what's a what's a good way of communicating your needs in a, in a department that could be taboo yeah or shameful yeah. Yeah, so I, I do work with clients who really need to first accept themselves so that then they can in turn advocate for themselves or educate their partners, uh, share about what what they like to do and also the why. So before I go into how we can communicate, I also want to highlight, uh, in well, at least in my work, uh, when we were learning about fetishes and why people are the way they are, uh, I was introduced to the term sexual orientation and sexual preference. So a fetish can be a sexual orientation, meaning this is who I am and I need it. I need it because this is who I am. So you can argue that that is an orientation that is uh, can be considered fluid. Uh, then the sexual preference, you can have it and you can also choose to not have it. So if they can communicate clearly to their partner, is this a need? I must have it. Or is this just a want? Like, I can have it sometimes or not have it sometimes. And if, if they can communicate this to their partner, depending on how they feel about themselves, then their partner will understand, oh, okay, so I don't have to worry about this but because this is what they like to do some of the time. And it's not something that I have to do all of the time just to please my partner, that this is going to be the rest of our sex lives. So I think that is more worrying rather than dabbling in different things and trying it because it's fun, because it's variety. And we, we naturally will have our curiosity. You know, we are, we are humans. We may have our own sex bucket list. We want to try different things. And if we could feel comfortable with someone, we want to try it with that person. So if we can communicate that uh, this is something I have never done myself that I would like to try it with you versus uh, saying that, can you do it? Mm. And then not explaining the why. Right. The why is very important. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, you know, like to say, uh, I like to do this. I like, I like you to put on lingerie because when my partners put on lingerie and I feel the, 
the 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 lace against your skin. It gives me a whole new level of sensations. And being a a person with penis, being a man, I can't really wear lingerie. It's socially not acceptable. So I love it when my partners wear it for me. So if you can explain the why, that's what I mean. Then ah uh, yeah, it makes sense. What about those who maybe don't understand their own why? Because I think. Because there's so much taboo and often shame attached to, especially the word fetish, that maybe people who have them don't acknowledge them enough to really understand what they get out of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like they know they're aroused by it, but they don't know why. So what can they do to understand that? Yeah. So often I also have people um, say, uh, "I don't know why," and it's also okay to say that to your partner because you genuinely don't know why. However, it can be useful to explore all the different aspects. Let's say, for instance, you find out that you are drawn to lingerie and it's lace, so then you may want to explore: is it just white lace, or is it black lace, or is it pink lace, or is it like a certain look of the lace? Is it simple lace or complicated lace? And then uh, maybe try to think like: when did this happen, and what do I actually associate this with? So when you start to explore for yourself, asking yourself questions, uh, be your own sex coach. Uh, then what will happen is you start to have a better relationship with this this thing that you're into. I think that's a great way to look at it. Be your own sex coach. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, it's like you said, most people encounter their first sexual experiences by accident. Like you're sort of just playing around, testing it out. And then you don't really know what you're going to like, what you're going to dislike. Man, I, yeah. that, that's, that's, this has given us... So much to think about because yeah. actually like we came in and we started this chat being very honest, like we know nothing about it. But honestly, the the core of it and exploring a fetish is, is really coming down to the acceptance in yourself and I guess the trust in yourself to allow yourself to be a coach. And, you know, we have so much, we're, we are in such a hypersexualized world that it can be like have a lot of pressure to conform or to be the opposite. And people just sort of being in the gray area right now of exploring could feel a lot of, I don't know, disencouragement just from the world we live in. And it really does go down to you as the individual to take that risk to find your mojo. Sorry, I love that word. <laughs> mojo. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the other way to also look at it is I never considered it in terms of the difference between a sexual orientation and a sexual preference in that some people may actually need it to be stimulated while other people are like, this is just the thing that I like. And also in looking at it is a much, like a much bigger, broad spectrum. Everyone's got some kind of kink. It's just, it also makes me think of the term vanilla and what we think of as vanilla sex versus crazy, wild, outrageous sex. And that's the one where we think more about like, say, BDSM, say, I don't know, yeah. other kinds of play. Versus, I don't know, missionary. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Martha, thank you so much for giving us that insight. Um, uh, I think in terms of just covering the basics of a fetish, you pretty much nailed all our questions and left us with more. But if we do have any more, we will. Yeah. Oh, I do have one last one, which is more how someone who is um, potentially becoming involved with someone who has a fetish how do they find their comfort zone and their boundaries with something that is often sort of, I feel often people get blindsided with it. Like what when, do you mean? Like an example. 
like say you I don't know say you strike up a relationship or something with a person that you haven't slept with and then when you do decide to sleep with them you find that they have all these fetishes you weren't really prepared they love pens exactly they love (laughs) pens they love I don't know water bottles like and you're not prepared for that and it's maybe not something you are familiar with with your previous partners how can those sorts of people adapt to that new situation and be like these are my boundaries and this is what I'm willing to engage with you on. Because we also have to think about the other person who is probably hopefully trying to entertain some of their fetishes, but also needs to understand what they're comfortable with as well and yeah. protect themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, so we talked about uh, learning about yourself and what you're into and advocating for your, yourself, not just saying the what, but also the why. And the person who is on the receiving end needs to know that you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And it's so important that we recognize that if this is not what I'm comfortable with, that I need to ask for a timeout. I need to ask for more time. I need to ask questions. I need to learn more. I need to understand more. So that can include uh, a reading about, uh, about it online. Uh, finding books, uh, going for therapy, and actually learning how to take small steps so that at the end of the day, you don't feel that you have betrayed yourself and done things that you feel has kind of like killed a little bit of your soul and who you are. So at every step of the way, we need to be responsible for ourselves. And uh, if, 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 I mean, you know, not, nobody is perfect. They are also trying to figure out their way of speaking and per- perhaps at the start, they may not, they may not even admit it. And later on, you think that, okay, this is just something for variety. And then later you realize this is more of a sexual orientation. This is who they are. They're into it and they are more hardcore than you think. And there's always time to leave. <laughs> there's always time to leave if you are really uncomfortable. Um, and I, I, I like to encourage my clients who think that they have a fetish. Uh, to explore the what and the why and also the what else. Because often they get caught up with this is my thing and they don't realize that if they can just expand their sexual comfort, they can expand their vocabulary and uh, understanding that this is just all play, then (laughs) they would have a much easier life in, first of all, uh, not having so much shame. And that is also makes life easier for them and their partners. I love that, yeah. which is like the what, the why, and then what else. Yeah. Can I apply that to any other angle in my life? Like, I'm taking that. Yeah. And also, <laughs> I'm sort of curious to find out what my fetish is now. I don't think I figured mine out. Well, we will have an update for you on that. <laughs> A few episodes into the podcast, Marissa's going to come yeah. on strong. Like, like, I like pens. <laughs> I did. I did love stationery growing up. So... <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Martha, thank you again for taking the time. Also, we wanted to let you know that we are signed up for your sex festival. And we are, yeah, we shared it with our friends and we hope that our followers also can dive into it as well. We are so excited. When we saw the lineup, we were like, (gasps) that looks so cool. Maybe since we have you on air, I mean, maybe you could share us a little bit about that for our listeners too, if they want to get involved where the details for that is. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's why I was asking like when when this is going to go out because you know I wasn't sure it was appropriate. Uh, so yes, I'm I'm doing this uh, virtual sex festival called Sugar and Spice. It's August first to the fifteenth. 
Although even after 15, the recordings will still be available for 30 days. And I'm actually already planning for the second one in November. Uh, yeah. So this time it's, uh, it's over two weeks. We have 39 sessions, 35 presenters, and we have workshops. We have uh, more of a talk sessions. We have uh, panels and we have performances. Uh, so what I really wanted to do was uh, during this lockdown period, I have been part of four virtual sex festivals and most of these festivals, I was the only Asian and I kind of, I kind of got sick of it. Like why, why are Asians not talking about sex? Because we don't see our representation. So Asians don't realize that other Asians do talk about sex. And if I did a festival, I don't want to do a festival just for the sake of it. What kind of a difference would I make and what kind of festival would I want to uh, stand behind? Uh, so that's why I wanted an all Asian, uh, sex festival. And it has been, it has been really, really good. It has been slow going. I think it was confusing because we offered three prizes, uh, and it's self declared. And I think Asians being Asians, why would I pay a higher price yeah. if I can pay a lower price? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, 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 also, yeah. but also for our listeners, when we say sex festival, we're not meaning like you go online and engage in it. it it's, yeah. it's fully, um, educational. educational. You know, there are professional speakers from all sorts of uh, different areas within expertise, yeah. expertise, different within expertise. The field of sex, I guess, um, uh, from BDSM to health coaches like yourself yeah. to even like entertainers. And yeah. we're just like, honestly, we're, when we saw the lineup, we got so excited and we completely support what you're doing mm. to bring a representation to conversations that we on this side of the world maybe are not up to date with yeah that's also why we're kicking off this podcast yeah we're forcing those conversations so yeah thanks so much that's for, awesome yeah so for much. being on for hours and uh we'll keep in touch yes for yeah. sure yeah thank you and uh, we'll see you on the sex festival <laughs> well there you guys have it i mean martha is like a badass, first of all, for everything she's doing in the conversations around sex out here in Asia. Um, But yeah, if you guys have made it all the way to the end of this episode, well, damn, look at you tuning in. Yeah, what a super fan. But I mean, I think the thing we need to close off on is welcome to season two. Woo woo! Yeah, so we wanted to start this season on a strong note, which is obviously why we went with a very powerful topic. But I mean, it doesn't really take a strong topic for you to, you know, click those uh, like, follow, subscribe buttons, guys. Because, I mean, like Hanley said, if you really made it to this stage and you haven't yet clicked those buttons, you're playing really hot and cold. And that's not really what we're here for. Show us love. Yeah. We need it. (laughs) Validate us. Please. (laughs) Wow. 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 There is such truth in that. Okay, guys, um, uh, this season, uh, so much cool stuff is coming your way. More honesty, more topics such as this, more good stuff, more weird stuff. And we can't wait to share it all on this season of Just So We're Clear. So till then, we'll catch you next week. Bye.